All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to the well here at STSA. If you're just stopping by here for the first time in a while, we are in part five of a series called Building Blocks, A Life of Prayer. And what we've been doing for the past four weeks and we'll continue today and next week in our finale is what we are talking about is prayer, not so much necessarily as an act that we do, which we know we're supposed to, we all know we're supposed to pray, but we're talking about prayer as a home that we build. And we said that if we, maybe if we reframe prayer, prayer is the one thing that everyone who knows anything about Christianity knows that they should do. And it's the one thing that we avoid doing more than anything else. And the reason why is maybe we're looking at it in the wrong way. What we talked about as prayer, especially in the first week, is that prayer is an invitation. That's all it is. Prayer is a house that we are in, in, invited to build. And what Jesus says is if you build this thing called prayer, I want to come and spend time with you. The context in which I will meet with you I will dine with you. I will discuss things with you is in this house called prayer. So you need to make sure that you build a good house and every house has to have multiple rooms because there's different purposes. So we talked about in the first week, the family room of the house of prayer is called simple prayer. And that is cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. And that's kind of like the bread and butter of prayer that we always come back to that, that whatever's on our hearts, whatever's on our mind, we bring it to God. Doesn't matter if it's long or if it's short. In fact, I was saying short is actually better than long. All right, we want to aim for not long prayers. We want to aim for uneventful but sincere prayers. That's simple prayer. And then we went from the family room to the living room, and that's structured prayer. And structured prayer, that's kind of where we discipline ourselves a little bit, and we force ourselves into doing set times of prayer, set things to say, in order to help build the consistency and build the image of God back in us. That's kind of like working out for us. It's not something that we necessarily enjoy or we like, but we know we need to do, and we need to do it on set times and set ways. Structured prayer is like the tanning booth of, of the spiritual life. The more time you spend in the tanning booth, the more your body changes its complexion, how it looks. The more time we spend in structured prayer, especially if we do it the right way, then the more we grow into the image and likeness of God as we were created to be. Last week, we went to praying through scripture. And praying through scripture is kind of like the office or the study or the den of the house. This is where you go into God's office, okay? And you say, excuse me, can I have some things I want to discuss with you? He says, actually, I want to discuss some things with you. Come on, have a seat on my lap. And we sit on God's lap. We sit on the lap of Jesus and we seek the word through his words and the words of scripture. And we talked about that last week. We want to not just read the word of God, but meditate on it. And we got that nice visual, right? You can still right? You can still hear it. I was surprised by how many people told me this past week about how that image of the cow has just been in there, ingrained in their mind from that, 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 if you don't know what I'm talking about last week, you're probably kind of disgusted right now, but trust me, it was spiritual last week when we were here. And now we're going to get into the fourth room. But before I get into the fourth room, a question that I've received multiple times this particular week in both my own life group, and then I had a chance to visit some other life groups, and I heard this exact same question people asked. They said, Father Anthony, as we go from room to room, and every week I'm giving like a challenge. So there's like a challenge of like, do this three times a day, or do this, you know, uh, for 10 minutes a day, or whatever it may be, and we've had three challenges so far. Someone asked me, two people asked me the exact same question. Are you saying each week is instead of the previous week? Or in addition to the previous week? And the people kind of asked it in both kind of the same shy, sheepish way, because they knew what I was probably going to say, and they were thinking to themselves, it's probably better not to ask this one, but I'm just curious. Is this in addition or instead? Well, let me ask you a different question. We'll go back at you. 
You and your house have different rooms. Do you have to go into every room every day? Do you go into every room every day? Do you go in every room every day? Or do you say, like, today's Monday, today's the living room day. Today's Friday, this is the day I go in the bedroom. No. You don't necessarily have, each room has a purpose. Anytime you want to eat, you go to the eating room. Anytime you want quiet and study, you go to the quiet study room. Anytime you want to kick back, you go in the kickback room. Every room has a purpose and a time and a place for it. So let's go back now to prayer. My answer to that question, I'm not telling you, well, the answer is the challenges, the hope is, yeah, it's in, 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 in addition to, not instead of. That's the short answer. But let me say it in a slightly different way. My goal in this series is to give you tools, to give you tools, to give you all the tools that you need and to teach you how to use those tools. And my hope is that once you understand how the tools work, then you, I'm trusting you are mature enough and honest enough and smart enough to be able to apply it to your own life. So for example, the family room, the, the simple prayer. How often should I do that? Well, that's kind of the whole point. The whole point is it's not supposed to be necessarily on a schedule. We did the schedule thing just to kind of train us and how it works. But the goal is anytime there's something on my heart that I bring it to God. And some people may need to work on this. So you may set that alarm throughout the rest of, you know, the month, the year, whatever. Maybe that may be a goal for you. The times you're going to need that quiet, like in your house, you need the family room time, but you need the office time, time to study and time to go deeper. So I hope that you set a time to study scripture and to go deeper and meditate in scripture. I'm giving you some ideas, but more, more I'm just giving you tools. The structured prayer. Okay, if I could go back, I would change the, before I said the structured prayer was the living room. And someone said, well, we don't need to go in the living room. We never go in that room. That's just when our parents would invite people over. We don't go in that room. I'm going to change the living room. The structured prayer is not the living room. That's the home gym. And the home gym, you don't want to go in, but you know you need to go in. And that's the kind of room that you say, you know what? I don't like structured prayer. It's difficult. It's hard. But so is exercising. But when you do it, because we know it's beneficial for us. Structured prayer is that same. It's kind of exercising our soul. So what I'm saying to you is, what I want to do is I want to give you the tools. And I want to tell you, there's the purpose for all the different kinds of prayer. And that I'm trusting you are honest enough that your goal is not to minimize. Your goal is to be healthy spiritually. That you're honest enough. You're smart enough. And you're mature enough to be able to apply it to your own circumstances or whatever it may be. I'll kind of share how I apply it in my own life. And again, this is just for me. And it's just for me right now. This could change six months from now. I kind of go by season. So I kind of have like a plan for Lent. And then after Easter, I have a different plan and so on and so forth. The summer has a different kind of plan. So for me, I don't like to compartmentalize it necessarily as cleanly as the way we've been talking about it right here. I have my morning is where I do kind of most of these all together. So when I get to the office in the morning, all right, First thing I do, get to the office, put my stuff down, lunch goes in the fridge, okay? Boil the, the cup of the, the hot water, not because I want a cup of tea now, but because I want a cup of tea later, okay? At 10 o'clock or two o'clock is when I have my cup of tea, so I want the water already hot, so I have to wait for it to start from scratch, so I start the water boiling. That's not spiritual, that's just efficient, okay? And then after I do that, they know, everyone knows, go in my office and I close the door. And then I start my quiet time. My quiet time begins with structured prayer. I pray from the book of hours, the egg bait. And then after that, I'll go into my quiet time, my, my scripture time. And then my scripture time will conclude with a time of simple prayer. Okay, it'll conclude with like the, the reading will lead me to prayer. And I like to write down my prayers. And that's kind of like my morning 45 minutes or something like that. So it's not like compartmentalized, like necessarily, that's kind of my time. And then I try to have a time in the afternoon, which I'll talk about that in a little bit today, what I do in the afternoon time, it's a little bit different kind of a prayer. And then like in the evening, we do our family prayer 
Okay, um, like we pray the structured prayer and then the simple prayer as well. So you don't need to compartmentalize it, all right? Think about it this way. When I'm talking about my diet, you need to eat spinach. You need to eat, you know, steak. Okay, so which one? On Monday, should I eat spinach or steak? I'm gonna eat spinach on Mondays. I'm gonna eat steak on Tuesdays. No, no, no. Like it'd be nice to have a meal that has a little bit of spinach and a little bit of steak. And it'd be nice to have a meal that has a little bit of vegetable, a little bit of protein. You don't need to think about it in terms of like only one at a time. What you need to do is figure out, hey, I am uh, a protein deficient, so I need more steak. Hey, I got too much protein. I need more of the vegetables. So you say, you know what? I don't have enough Bible in my life. I really need more time to hear God's voice. So I'm gonna tell you, put a little bit more on the scripture time. Or some people say, like for me personally, I struggle like I shared that with the simple prayer. Okay, I'm much better at the structure than the simple. So maybe me, I set that alarm and I keep it to reminder. Structured prayer, if you ever said, I just don't have the discipline and the consistency in my spiritual life. I say, you are a prime candidate to add more structured prayer into your spiritual life because that's exactly what you need. Don't do what you want, do what you need. My job is just to give you the tools. Fair, fair answer. Everyone got their answer? Okay, so we are honest and we're mature enough. We're not looking for shortcuts, we're looking for what's best. I'm not gonna tell you how to build your house. But I'm gonna tell you that your house, if it doesn't have a kitchen, is gonna not look very good. That you need a living room because sometimes fancy people will come. You need a place that you can relax as a family. You need the same thing when it comes to prayer. And I'm gonna test that maturity of yours today with this fourth room in the prayer house, in the house of prayer. Because this house requires the most amount of maturity because it's a 100% selfless room. And that is the room of intercessory prayer where we receive no benefit for ourselves. This is what I call the dining room, okay? Because the dining room is that room that you don't really go in by yourself. It's only when you go in with others. And we're gonna talk about why we need to pray even when there's no benefit to ourselves at all to pray. We need to learn how to pray for others. Why? There's a nice quote here from a man named Richard J. Foster. He said, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. We're gonna talk about intercessory prayer today where we go to God for somebody other than ourselves. That we go to God for someone who can't go to God for themselves or who maybe chooses not to or is just in need of an extra hand or extra help. This is where we go in front of somebody strong, somebody powerful, and we say, we need your help for that guy or that girl or this person. We go for the sake of somebody else. Why is it important for us to have a room for intercessory prayer? Why is intercession, why do I say that you can't, you can't have a true relationship with Christ and become more like Christ without intercessory prayer being an essential part? It's not an optional part of Christianity, it's essential. Whose job is it to make intercession for us? Look at this verse right here from Hebrews chapter seven, verse 24. But he, Jesus, Look how St. Paul describes the role of Jesus. But he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Circle that word priesthood in your mind for now. We're gonna come back to what a, priesthood's prim a priest's primary job is. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. The mission of Christ in a nutshell is to intercede for us, is to go before the Father, because there was like a separation. You could think about it like between man and God, there was this separation. And Jesus kind of stepped in the gap and says, come, come, I'll take you with me. 
And he stands in front of the Father and he pleads for us. The mission of Christ is intercession for us. One of the church fathers, name is Ambrose of Milan, said, unless he intercedes, there is no intercourse with God, either for us or for any of the saints. So I say it this way. I'm going to say that the primary work of Christ is intercession. And therefore, the primary work of his disciples should be the same. Jesus set the model. I'm here to not only pray for others, but to give my life for others. And if we're his disciples, we should follow suit. And our life should be modeled after that. Now, in order to do intercessory prayer properly and correctly and effectively, you need two things. The first of those two things, I'm going to say real quick, because I'm going to make the assumption that it's already there because y'all are good people. The first thing you need is a love for others. And I'm going to make the assumption that's there, okay? That you have that love for others, that you, like Foster said earlier, at some point in time, you desire something for somebody else that it is not within your ability to give. A sick child, you want that child healed. A lost uh, brother, you want that, child, that brother to come back. A coworker who's throwing their life away in sin. I'm gonna make the assumption that you care and that you love enough to be able to say, I wish I could help them, but I just can't. If you don't have that love, then there's something wrong with you. If you don't have that desire to pray for them, then something's wrong with you. Because what I'm saying is, is if you have the love, the prayer is the natural outpouring of it. Think about it this way. A mom sees her child in danger. A mom sees her child in danger. Do I have to come to that mother and say, mother, you know, you should pray for your child. Oh, I don't want to pray. Why do I have to pray? What's the point of prayer? Is that what a mom does? Child in danger runs across the street. Why do I have to pray? I don't believe in prayer. The prayer doesn't have any... Is that what a mother does? Even a mother who doesn't believe in God screams, oh God, dear God, please God. It's the natural outpouring. And that's why the funny thing is, you know how people say, oh my God, oh my God is, is a prayer. That's how originally, that, like that's, that's where it's root is, is people, oh my God. But now people take it in another way and people who don't believe in God say, oh my God. Now I want to ask them like, do you know, what did you say? Like, who are you saying, who are you calling out to who you don't believe in? But anyway, it's a different point. My point is prayer is the natural response when you love somebody and the situation is outside of your control. True love cannot stand by idly. So I'm asking you, you see marriages deteriorating. You're single, you're not married, but you see other people's marriages deteriorating. True love, Christ-like love, leads you to prayer. Can't stand by idle. Let's flip it, married people. You see single people struggling. True love, can't sit by idle and say, thank God, not me. Like, imagine that. Imagine, okay, we're talking in this, this, this is the intercessory prayer, the dining room. Next week, we're gonna talk about the bedroom, okay, the place of greatest intimacy with God, which is liturgical prayer. And there's a reason why this is before that. There's a reason why this is before that. Can I, okay, can I say to my wife, you know, my wife comes home from work sad, you know, and this bothered me, this bothered me. I say, ah, so what? Thank God it's not me. Thank God it's not me. Hey, let's go up to the bedroom and have some fun. Can you say that? You can't have intimacy in the bedroom if you don't have intimacy with the heart of God and what God cares about. And what God cares about is other people. First John chapter four, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For how does he... How does he, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment that we have from him, that he who loves God must also love his brother, period. So I'm not even talking about that, even though I just talked about it for five minutes, but I'm not really gonna talk about it anymore. 
Because the assumption is that you have a love in your heart for people who are not named you and you care. Now, the second criteria we're going to spend a little more time on. You need, in order to pray intercessory prayer effectively, you need a love for others and you need a faith. And this one, I'm going to challenge you a little bit, not just to give me the Sunday school answer, but to go deep inside your heart. And you need a faith that prayer works. You need a faith that prayer makes a difference. You need to really believe that if you pray and if you don't pray, the situation, the outcome will not be the same. The prayer does make a difference. If we're honest, sometimes we wish prayer didn't make a difference. You know why? Because it would give us an excuse not to pray. Sometimes we wish it didn't. Like we like convincing ourselves that prayer doesn't work sometimes because we're lazy and because we don't really want to pray. And we say, what difference does it make? And God's going to do what he's going to do. If you're going to be successful in this room of intercessory prayer, then you need to believe that, you know what? That people who are blind, either spiritually or physically, but especially spiritually, that your prayers can give them sight. The people who are far away, the people who are confused, the people who are in despair, the marriages that are broken, the people who are struggling with addiction, that you need to believe that prayer really can make a difference. And you don't take it because I said so. You take it because the word of God says it so clearly. James chapter 5, verse 16. This is a good memory verse if you struggle with prayer. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Say that with me. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's got to be your bread and butter. That's got to be deep inside you. That's got to be hidden inside you. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then James gives us, an, gives us an example to prove his point. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He wasn't Superman. He wasn't anything. He was just a man like me and you. But he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three, three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. What I'm saying is, prayer is so effective that it could open the clouds or close them first so they make a drought by Elijah's, Elijah's prayer, and then could do the exact opposite. Elijah did by prayer what he could never have done by effort. And you too, by a fervent prayer, can avail much. Stuff that you could never do by effort, by talking, by discussing. And you have to believe that. See, our problem is we look at prayer like a light switch. We think of prayer as a light switch. We turn it on, didn't work. What happens if I went to light, light, light switch, I go like this and nothing happens. I may a second time do like this, maybe a third time. Then after that, you say, you know what? Didn't work. And we took a prayer as a light switch. Prayer is not a light switch. You know what prayer better analogy is? Prayer is like chopping down a tree. At every swing, every swing, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. Every time you pray, you don't knock down the tree, but every pray, you chip away, you chip away. That marriage that's never gonna get fixed, keep on chipping away, keep on chipping away. You may see no results, but I'm telling you, you keep on chipping away, chipping away. There's gonna come a time where you're gonna say timber and you say the whole thing come down. And you're not gonna be dumb enough to think that it was just that last chop that brought the tree down. You're not that dumb. You're smart enough to know that it was the sum total of all the chops and prayers the same way. Prayers chipping away, chipping away at the addiction, chipping away at the despair, chipping away at the problem, chipping away at the sickness. It's chipping away if we'll be committed to it. That's why 
you need to believe the following sentence. And you need to internalize what I'm about to say. I can make a difference by prayer. I can make a difference. Let's do this together. Everyone say it with me. Say, I can make a difference. I didn't believe that. That's a pathetic, I can make a difference. 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 I can make a difference in my marriage. I can make a difference with my future. I can make a difference with my career. I can make a difference with my parents. I can make a difference with my children. I can make a difference in the world. I can make a difference in Congress. I can make a difference in the Middle East. I can make a difference. I can make a difference because I have in my hand the power of prayer. And then if I use my difference and you use your difference, or you use your difference and you, you know what? I'm chopping with my ax and then you help me with your ax and then you take your ax over there and each one of us starts chipping away. We can make a difference. And you have to believe that because that's the basis of intercessory prayer that we can make a difference. Not overnight, not in a, not in a minute, maybe sometimes in a minute, but most likely over the course of time that we can make a difference. You have to believe that. That's why in my house, we pray for big things. We pray for little things. In my house, we pray for algebra. For understanding both for my son and also for his father trying to check his homework. Because I believe that prayer can make a difference. We pray for, my kids are 13 and 11. We pray for friendships. We pray for spouses. Because we know our children and we know God have mercy on whoever they marry sometimes. So we pray for spouses because we believe that our prayer makes a difference. Prayer, through prayer, every prayer has an unseen impact. We're gonna look at a story of a guy named Moses from the Old Testament. Moses, one of the best intercessors ever. Moses used to stand in front of God and plead for the people and say, God, not for my sake, but for the people's sake. And there's a great story in Exodus chapter 17 about when Moses was interceding. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men to go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So there's a battle about to happen. Moses says, okay, get the troops ready. Me, I'm not gonna go to war. I'm gonna go up on top of the mountain and I'm gonna pray. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, Moses, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what we used to do on mission trips, okay? When we didn't wanna work, yeah, I'll be, the, I'll be the prayer warrior today, okay? Yeah, yeah, you guys go. I'll be here and I'll be in my bed. I'll be praying very hard, yeah. That's what Moses is doing. Like, come on, Moses, you're just gonna be the prayer guy? Like, come on and fight. But Moses knows what he's doing. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was. When Moses held up his hand, meaning he prayed, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Moses prayed, people started to have victory. Moses got tired, people started to lose. They jacked up his hands on the stones and they held him up all that whole time so the people would win. Let me ask you a question and think before you answer. Who had the harder job? Fighting the battle or praying on top of the hill? It seems like the answer should easily be the guy on the top of the hill. But the story says that he's the one who needed help. That of the two, he was the one who got tired. The other guys didn't say they got tired. He said as long as his hand was up, they were whipping the other guys. 
And I'm not saying, don't, don't get me wrong here, I'm not saying, you know, fighting the war is not as, is, is easier than, than doing the prayer. But I'm trying to show you, I'm trying to show you the importance of that prayer, okay? Of, of that when you, that intercessory prayer has power. Thank you very much, yeah. The light switches are on the wall, so you, sometimes you lean back and boom, surprise. In a weird way, in a weird way, and I know, again, I'm not saying this in a military way, but just understand me. In a weird way, it's easier to do the fighting than it is to do the praying, isn't it? It's easier to do the discussing. It's easier to do the arguing. It's easier to, to, to try to convince than it is to stand and pray. Why is that? It's easier to go to doctor after doctor after doctor. It's easier to try different, read different books, go to different seminars. It's easier to try all these different things than pray. Why? It goes back to what I said a couple weeks ago, because we don't really believe in the effectiveness of prayer. I'm happy to pray if I know at the end of this prayer, problem is solved. But because we don't see that direct one-to-one -one correlation, we would rather do something that seems more productive. Jesus told a parable to prove this exact point. Actually, we read it uh, and mentioned it this morning during the liturgy for those who are here. It's from Luke chapter 18. And he gives this parable of the unjust judge, right? And he says, once upon a time, there, there, oh, I'm sorry, then he spoke to them a parable that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, okay? Men always ought to pray. He says, the goal of this parable is to teach you that you always ought to pray. Then he told a parable about a woman who needed help from a judge. And the judge is not symbolizing God, just a judge. And she goes to that judge and the judge says, I don't have anything to do with you, leave me alone. What does the woman do? She comes back and asks again, slams the door in her face, asks again, slam door, ask, slam, ask, slam. Finally, the guy says, enough, can't take it no more, take what you want. And at the end of that, after telling that story, Jesus gave the following debrief on it. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And when he says that, will the Son of Man find faith? What do you think he was saying faith in? Not faith in God, because this was not a parable about God. This is a parable about prayer. Back to this. Men always ought to pray. Will he really find faith on the earth? He was saying that this lady, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away at the judge, and he's saying, will people, when I come back, really believe in the power of prayer that they can chip away, chip away, chip away? That's the kind of faith that he's looking for. And that's the kind of faith that we're called to here today. Intercessory prayer is the hardest kind of prayer. It's not for the faint hearted. It's not for those who are weak in their faith. Because intercessory prayer means you need to stand and pray and sometimes get absolutely nothing in return. It means you need to be able to look at zero results and believe in your heart. You know who intercessory prayer is for? It's for fighters. It's for people who like to fight. And people who are gonna look around at the world today and the evil today and say, not on my watch. Not on my watch. I'm not gonna watch this society go down the toilet and just say, you know, protect me and my kids. Not on my watch. We're gonna fight. It needs for people who say, you know what? I'm gonna fight for people who can't fight for themselves. I'm not gonna fight like this. I'm gonna fight like this. I'm gonna fight for kids who are abused and who are hurt. I'm gonna fight for kids who aren't even born yet. I'm gonna fight for them because they can't fight for themselves. I'm gonna fight for those who are uh, the, the victims of injustice and racism. I'm gonna fight for anybody who's being picked on or bullied. I'm gonna fight for them. How am I gonna fight? I'm gonna fight like this. And I'm gonna fight for my sister. And I'm gonna fight for my brother. And I'm gonna fight for your marriage. And I'm gonna fight for your kids. And I'm gonna fight for the sick. And I'm gonna fight for those who don't even know they need someone to fight for them. And I'm gonna fight especially for the person who's got no one to fight on their behalf. Intercessory prayer can't sit by idly when all this stuff is happening. And just to show you the importance of intercession, in the Old Testament, 
when the people of Israel came out of Egypt. They had been slaves for 400 years. After that, God had to teach them how to live as free people. He had to teach them how to be a civilization. He had to teach them what it meant to be children of God. Like they had no idea. They were slaves. Slaves don't know how to do anything. Slaves would just do what they were told. They eat what they were given. So he taught them all these. That's why he gave them rules of dietary law. They didn't know how to choose what to eat and not eat. They only ate what they were given. He taught them. They should eat this, should not eat this. He taught them how to govern themselves. They, didn't, they never governed themselves before. They didn't know any of this, these things. They were governed by their slave masters. So he taught them. This is what you do when someone wrongs you. This is what you do if, you know, if someone steals someone's ox. He gave them all these rules. And he wanted to build into the very fabric of their society the importance of intercession. How? By creating rules where people were to help one another. Like there's a, a very nice rule called the rule, the, the, the law of gleaning. Okay, you may have heard this before. Is that if I have, if I have this farm right here, okay, this is my, my farm right here. And I am uh, harvesting. Okay, I'm supposed to take all this, the, the fruit and the grapes, but I'm not supposed to go to the edges. I'm only supposed to go like to right here and then no more. Like I don't go all the way to the edges. And that was the law that you couldn't go all the way to the edges. Why? Because he said, leave the stuff on the edges, the gleanings for the poor. Leave those for the people who are just traveling from one city to another city who don't have anybody to help them. So you, you live off, and he was also setting the rule for tithing, like the, 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 the principle of tithing that you live off of 90%. That you glean or you take 90% of what you have and you leave the other 10%. Don't you worry about that. You obey me and I'll take care of it. He built in the fabric of them, this idea of you help one another, you care for one another. And then he made it even more clear, not just by a law he gave, but by a position he created. The role of priest, Exodus chapter 28 here, says Aaron was the priest, shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart. I like that. When he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. Twice he tells him that you, Aaron, you're the priest. Your job is to carry the people over your heart. In the Old Testament, the duty of intercession belonged to the priest. It was not an option. It was built into their job description. That your job is to carry the people over your heart. Aaron couldn't have said, nah, I don't really care. That tribe over there, that's nah, not really, really rubbed me the wrong way. I don't really care for that tribe. Aaron had to carry all the people, whether he liked them or didn't like them. He carried the people over his heart. And he would enter in the presence of God because back then people couldn't enter the presence of God. Only Aaron, the priest could. So Aaron would carry them. Okay. He would carry all of their sins, all of their problems. And he would carry it in front of God and he would bring the people. Aaron didn't just pray for himself. Aaron didn't have the option to say, you know what? No, thank you. I don't want to pray for them. Agree with me. It was Aaron's duty. It was the duty of the priest to pray for the people. Everybody agree. There was no room for wig no wiggle room on this one. Aaron and the priests had to pray for all the people. How about New Testament? Whose job is it to pray for the people? In the Old Testament, it was the priest. Who's the job now? The answer? Is it still the job of the priest to pray for the people? What do you want from me as your priest? You want me to, like, if you come and ask me for, like, hey, Father Anthony, can you give me a ride to the airport? Father Anthony, can you help me move? Father Anthony, give me 20 bucks? What is 100% of all the requests that I get? Is Father Anthony, can you pray for me? Anyone want me to stop praying for them and instead give you a ride to the airport? I'd be happy to do that. It'd be much easier. Anybody? No, you want prayer. 
So what I say in the New Testament, it is still the job of the priest. It is still the job of the priest. Everybody agree? It's the job of the priest. You would agree that if I'm not praying for the people, I'm not doing a very good job. Actually, the word priest comes from the word presbyter, which literally means someone who prays for, someone who intercedes. That's my literal, the job title, is someone who prays for. As a priest, it's your job to pray. Everyone agree, job of the priest is to pray. Everyone agree, job of the priest is to pray for the people. Agree? Okay, I agree too. Watch out, suckers. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. A, say it with me, a... Holy priesthood. Ah, so wait a minute here. It's the job of the priest, but who's the priest? I pulled a fast one on you there, suckers. It is absolutely 100% positively still the job of the priest. What we see in the New Testament, what Peter is saying right here is there's a new kind of priesthood. It's a holy priesthood, and that's all of us. Anyone who ever said, I wanted to be a priest? Here you go. Welcome to the club. You're now a priest, and you're now on the prayer team. Because in the same way that in the Old Testament, the job of the priest was to pray for the people. In the New Testament, the duty also belongs to the priest. But the difference is, now we're all priests. The duty belongs to all of us. See, in the Old Testament, there was a select group of people. This group of people, you're the priest, you're the only ones who could do this job. And that was symbolized by there was a veil between where the people could be and where God was. Only the priest could go inside the veil. There was a veil between the people and God. Only the priest could go between. When Christ was crucified on the cross, that veil torn in two. And now we don't need someone to go into God on our behalf. We can all go straight to God. Every single person in this room can go straight to God. That doesn't then negate the need for the priest to pray for the people. That further emphasizes the importance of all of us to pray for one another. Because now there's nothing limiting me. There's nothing stopping me from being able to go to God and bring my brother, my sister, my father, my mother in prayer. With that said, that does not mean that, like, I'm not negating this priesthood. What is this priesthood versus this? I said, I said, carrying the burdens of one another, praying, interceding. That's this priesthood. That's all believers. What's this versus this? This is a sacramental priesthood. So this means that you can't celebrate the Eucharist, okay? It's a sacramental. It's a church order kind of a thing, okay? So I do have specific roles that I play that you can't play, but that deals a lot more with the sacraments, taking confessions, doing baptism, et cetera, et cetera, things like that versus praying for the people. Okay, so not negating, general priesthood, pray. Specific priesthood, sacraments. Okay, one is not against the other. But anyway, let's go back to general priesthood. If someone's in need of prayer, you don't need to find Father Anthony to pray for them. If a marriage is struggling, you need to come to me and say, Father Anthony, you should pray for that marriage. You, you. If someone's sick, you need to find Father Anthony to pray for them. Like, it's good. I'm not saying don't tell me. I'm happy to pray. But what I'm saying is I'm not the only one who can pray anymore. But all of us are given that role. And in fact, I'm going to go beyond that and say all of us are not only given that role, we're given that duty. Let me show you this verse right here from 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. An Old Testament priest said, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. And I think that same thing applies to us. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. If God held them accountable to praying for one another, he's going to hold us accountable as well. And far be it for me that I see a problem in front of me and I say, thank God it's not me. That I see a family in need. And I'm not even saying help the family. Help the family, like that's, that's good. But I'm saying that I can't lift them up in prayer. Far be it for me. So with that said, welcome to the prayer team, everybody.
here's your assignment for the week. We're going to do our, our, our assignment. Every week, I give you a principle and then a challenge of how to do it. This week, no different. I'm going to talk about now. We kind of understood the basis of where intercession comes from, the need for it. Now is the how. Whenever it comes to the how, people are, are every time I go to a life group and visit and people talk, they laugh at me because I'm, I'm very structured, okay, as maybe you've noticed. Okay, and someone said, you told us simple prayer, and then you gave us a structure for simple prayer. And I'm like, yeah, it's better that way. <laughs> and then you gave a structured prayer, which is already structured, and then you gave us a structure on top of the structure. I just like the world in neat boxes, okay? I think the world operates better. If my system doesn't work for you, that means you're not that smart. No, I'm joking. No. <laughs> it means that you operate different than me. Like, that's totally fine. That's totally fine. But I always go because I'm kind of like the least common denominator in the room. So I like to break it down and make it as dummy-proof as possible for myself. You're smarter than me. Like, you have a system, more power to you. I'm going lowest common denominator here. And for all the other low common denominators, y'all hopefully will appreciate my system. Because I think the clearer the system, the more effective the results will be. So with that said, what's the system? Our system is going to be something that I call prayer cards. Okay, and I, hopefully if you're a member of this church family, you've heard me speak about prayer cards before because I have. What prayer cards are, and I'm going to share with you some of mine in a minute. Prayer cards are putting the work in up front. Prayer cards means that I don't, every time I want to stand and pray, try to figure out who I'm going to pray for and what I'm going to pray for. Because that's very challenging. Because in the moment of prayer, I'm already like fighting all that is, like I'm fighting just to get into prayer. I want to make it as easy as possible, as seamless when I'm in there. So I put the work in up front. And I come up with prayer cards, not a prayer list. And I'll tell you why prayer cards are better than a prayer list. I come up with prayer cards for exactly who I want to pray for and exactly what I want to pray for them. Because the God please be with so-and-so prayer only gets you so far, okay? My least favorite prayer is God be with so-and-so. Because I feel like God hears that prayer, God be with my kids. And God's like, check, now what do you want me to do? And we just pray for 15 years, God be with my kids. And God's like, hello, I'm with the kids. What do you want me to do while I'm there? You want me to brush their hair? You want me to like, like what do you want me to do while I'm there? So we want to go deeper beyond God be with so-and-so, God be with so-and-so. God is saying, I'm already with them. What do you want me to do when I have arrived? And that's the beauty of the prayer cards. I write down a name. I write down a verse. And the reason I write a verse is because back to the scripture thing from last week, I let the word of God help me in my prayer because the word of God is powerful. So instead of just me saying my own words, I bring in a verse of scripture. It also helps me to memorize scripture. So it's a win-win on both sides. And then I put a few bullet points of things I would like to pray for this person. Would you like to see some examples of these prayer cards? Okay. I keep my prayer cards. Where's a priest supposed to keep the people when he brings them in prayer? Over his heart. So I keep them right there. It's kind of like my uh, lower kidney, but it's close enough to my heart, okay? Now I realize that most of you don't have shirts that have pockets right there in the middle of your gut. But if you, this is the advantage of the uniform because I keep them right here. And by having them right here, you see me filling up my car with gas. I'm not just sit there wasting my time. That's inefficient. I pull out my prayer cards and I say a prayer. And I don't need to think of like, I don't need to get in the, I know what I'm gonna pray. And then you, uh, um, I'm at the, the, you know, wherever it is that I have a few minutes between whatever, I pull out my prayer cards and I can pray for whoever right there on the spot. I'm gonna bring you some examples of my prayer cards. Now these are, I, they're not my real prayers. Okay, so I, I changed them around because they're personal. Okay, but uh, there's, you know, they give you an idea of how this thing works. So for example, 
Here may be a prayer card for my kid. All right, you insert your own kid's name right there. And I have Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, a verse that I'm always beating in my kids' heads, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And you see my prayer for my kid. My prayer, these are all real things that I have prayed for them at a certain time, okay? But they're just not my current prayer card. Healthy self-esteem and self-image. Assurance of my love and approval for her. Now you can see which kid it is, okay? Friends who will influence her positively and deepening her knowledge of you. Isn't that better than please God be with her? Please God be with her. Please God be with her. I might pray this for my spouse. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, 25, the husbands love your wives. I might remind myself of that. I might pray that we continue to have fun in our marriage, that we'd always be best friends. Notice I don't pray for romance. I pray for best friends because that's what keeps the marriage, not the romance stuff. The romance is good, but we already, obviously, obviously I don't need to pray for romance. <laughs> like obviously. <laughs> I pray that we would pray together more consistently. You say, but you're a priest. And I say, I know, but we struggle to pray together consistently. So instead of just being miserable about it, let me pray about it. And then, you know, help me to love her more every day. And that's what all the crowd's supposed to say. Thank you very much. Point for Father Anthony. Okay. I'll be cashing in that point when I get home later this afternoon. And then I might go personal requests. And this is, you know, this is, you know, just kind of generic. I might go James 5.16. I may pray for the singles to find a godly spouse. So I think that's the most important decision, you know, that's going to affect their lives. I pray for the marriages to find healing. And I may pray for specific marriages. I pray for the children to grow in the fear of God, not just my own, but other people's. I pray for this ministry to be a sweet realm before the throne. I may have a prayer for certain, like there have been times where we've had an abundance of sick people. I may put all those sick people on a list and pray for them by name. Maybe a, a specific situation or whatever. You can do as many as you want, but the challenge for this week, okay, the challenge for this week is to come up with three to five prayer cards. Now, again, I'm speaking, some of you are gonna say like, this is obvious, but just for the people who are like me, who are a little bit, you know, very structured. The goal here, is not an all-inclusive list of every person in the world you need to pray for. Because then, that's what I don't like about the prayer list. The prayer list ends up being like 6,000 names, okay? And it's very hard to delete someone off the list because you feel bad, like I don't want, but the cards, the good thing is, you can just chuck a card, okay? You don't need to, like this is not an all-inclusive list for everyone in the world that needs prayer. This is just simply spend some time, who do I need to spend some time praying for? Come up with three, come up with five. You can add later, but just get started. Just get started. Get yourself some index cards, do it on your computer. I know someone showed me that there's an app. The app is called, what's it called? Prayer, okay, is the name of the app, okay, apparently. If that's fine, like whatever, I'm sure there's an app for everything these days. So if there's an app, like whatever. I like the physical, because it makes it more tangible. It feels like I'm like holding the person on my heart, but whatever works for you, okay? I gave some more categories here. Think through your family. Think through those who are suffering. Think through non-Christians. Think through people at your work. Think through your life group, your friends, someone may be in need. Think through a dream of yours. Like you can put dreams, it doesn't need to necessarily be people. Like I'll pray my dreams for this church, dreams for the ministry, put a dream on there. You may have a dream to open a business, put it on there. Chopping away, chopping away, chopping away. Like that's how you do it. Prayers for the world, whatever it may be. And for me, as I was saying earlier, this is my afternoon prayer. So I don't do this during my morning prayer. I don't do this during my evening prayer. My afternoon prayer is dedicated to two prayer cards every day. Okay, I have seven prayer cards, okay, but the number fluctuates. So every afternoon, my afternoon structured prayer, okay, I pray that a certain hour in the middle of the day is dedicated to the intercession, okay? Bottom line, finish this thing up. Intercession is the work of Jesus. Look what St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. 
Look at the work of Christ compared to the work of us. He said, God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And then he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So what he did with us, he reconciled us, and now he gives us that same ministry of reconciliation. That is that God, excuse me, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. I love that expression. We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, intercessory prayer, I'll tell you a little trick. Actually, it has less to do with the person that you're praying for and more to do with our heavenly father, whose son or daughter that person is. It's actually not my love for people that drives me to intercessory prayer. It's my love for God and for his children. You know, if you love somebody, they say that it's, hard, it's easier to suffer than watch somebody you know suffer, right? Okay, I can't say I've been through a lot of suffering in my life, okay, so it's hard for me to say, but I can say that if I had a sickness versus my wife had that sickness, I'd much rather have it myself or my children. You'd always rather have the suffering for yourself than to see somebody in suffering. And I always say this like when my kids would get sick, I wish I could take that sickness out of them, their little stuffed up noses or whatever. I wish I could take a little juice out of their nose and put it in my own nose. How can we look at God? Like this goes on two levels. God, who sees the suffering of his children and that breaks his heart. And then how are we gonna look at God whose heart is broken, not at his own suffering, but the suffering of his children? How are we gonna look at God and on God's heart is the broken, the lost, those who are hopeless, those who are addicted, those who are being abused. That's on God's heart. And I'm gonna come in and say, can I have a raise? Can you please tell my boss to approve my, my vacation this weekend? Like God's heart is aching for the lost and the broken and the, 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 the marginalized and the hurting. And I'm just caring about myself. That's gonna put a gap between me and God. That's gonna cause a problem when next week I wanna go into the bedroom and say, I want full intimacy with God. Because you cannot join God in intimacy if your heart is far from his heart. If you wanna know what God's heart is, God's heart is people. It's always people. And it's people, not ourselves. It's always selfless. That was the heart of Christ. It was always people other than himself. And if we wanna join his heart with ours, it's time we do the same. Last quote. As members of one body, each of us is responsible for the health of the whole body. We have a duty to defend the life of the body. The measure of your relationship with God has always been the relationship with others. Your love of God is always connected to your love for others. And right now, I'm challenging you. Take this seriously and to come up with three to five prayer cards. Pray for your family, pray for your loved ones, but take a step even further and pray for somebody who doesn't even know you're praying for them. Pray for uh, uh, something that aches your heart. Okay, someone who cannot pray for themselves or a situation, like pray for something bigger than even just your day-to-day -day needs and the needs of your family and see what God does in your life. Okay, let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that you have called us
his ministry of reconciliation and given us the power to move heaven and earth by our prayers. I pray, Lord, that you would give to us like a selflessness to not just only think about our needs, but to think about the needs of others around us and to become true warriors of prayer, that we would fight not with argument, fight not online, fight not by our discussion or by eloquence, that we would fight by prayer. And I pray that you would, Lord, help us with this and encourage us with this, that you would show us the fruit of prayer and the impact that prayer can make in our lives and the lives of the people around us. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Christ Jesus, our Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. Thank you all for coming.